Proverbs chapter 1. We are back to our study of Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. Only a couple weeks left. Uh, This week we're studying chapter 18, thinking about parenting teenagers. And uh, chapter 19 is also about parenting teenagers. And then that's it. So uh, some of you will be glad to move on from here. I have benefited greatly from our study. I hope you have benefited half as much as I have. I do believe that we will study Daniel next, so um, you can get ready for that. We'll have a couple things in between. I'm going to be out next week. Josh Warren's going to teach uh, in here, but probably early to mid-August we'll start the study of Daniel, so I'm looking forward to that. Now, as my mom would say, the teenage years are something else. Uh, These years can be incredibly challenging for parents, as well as very rewarding at times. But anyway, you slice it, I think the teenage years are going to be a lot of work, uh, maybe not as much physical, physical energy as raising the little ones, but mental and emotional energy, no doubt. Part of the reason why, as Tripp says on page 184, um, the teen years are years of monumental insecurity. The child is not a child, uh, nor an adult. They're unsure about how to act, often unsure about who they are. Of course, this is different for different kids, although I would bet you that some of the ones that uh, display the most confidence are actually some of the most insecure. I was one of those as a teenager that um, displayed a great deal of outward confidence, and yet I had some deep insecurities that those were, that was masking. Teens feel vulnerable about just about everything. Uh, They worry about their bodies. They worry about what they put on their bodies. They worry about what other people think about what they put on their bodies. Uh, Not only what they wear, but just how they're appearing socially, how they're being received socially, anxious about relationships, unstable in the world of ideas. What do I believe? Why do I believe it? What does everyone think about what I think? And and things like that. Um, Not only is it a time of great anxiety and vulnerability, but also a time when they're trying to become individuals and form their identity. Who am I? What do I want to be? What do I believe? Uh, what am I going to do? And, and all of that. So as I was reading this part of the book, I, I thought about this. Um, as teenagers start to act like teenagers, which might happen preteen, you all can speak to that, those of you that have children this age. But I think the way that we're tempted to handle this is to uh, clamp down a little harder they're rebelling more, so we're going to put a stop to that, and we're going we're gonna to clamp down a little bit more on, on their behavior. Um, I think we all know from our own experience that the clamp method doesn't really work, but it is repeated time and time again because all of a sudden we have this stuff, you know, coming up, and we're not really sure um, how to deal with it. I think it would help us to realize or remember the anxiety and vulnerability and pressures that come with being a teenager. Um, It's this great transition stage in life out of childhood into adulthood, and it does create some real vulnerability for the child. This doesn't mean there isn't rebellion that needs to be dealt with. There is, and we're going to talk about that. But we should start from a place of compassion for our children. 
The teenage years are hard for everyone. Uh, your body is changing, your hormones are wild, your fears and insecurities are exposed for anyone with even just a smidge of discernment to see. I mean, you know, it's just a time of insecurity. So might we look on our teenagers with compassion, whether that is your own children or those around here as we're trying to shepherd uh, them together. Shepherding sheep, not wolves, even though the sheep have bite, you know, sometimes uh, as teens. So this reminded me of a man that I have met with before, and um, he was frequently frustrated by his wife's behavior, and to be fair, it can be pretty frustrating. But he was never able to love her like he's been called to love her out of that place of anger and frustration. Now, it turns out that his wife suffers with a bit of uh, depression and anxiety from time to time, something that I know about personally. And so one of the biggest breakthroughs that we had in terms of his ability to love her as he's been called to love her was when his heart began to break for her and what she is dealing with in her depression and anxiety. Um, how it complicates her life. It's not an excuse for her sin, but it certainly complicates things for her. And when he began to even just begin to understand that, um, he, he started to have compassion for her and was able to love her a lot differently than out of that frustration and anger. I think it's the same for our children, especially when we're talking about the teenage years. That is a frustrating time for parents but we'll never be able to shepherd and love them just out of that place of frustration and anger all the time, but that our hearts might break for them. I thought about Matthew 9, you know, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. It really literally means that his heart broke for them. Uh, And this was a needy bunch. I mean, the kinds of people that were following Jesus, he was healing people. So this was sick people. These are people with, you know, baggage, and they're bringing their relatives that have baggage. And, uh, but he looked on them with compassion. His heart broke for them. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, maybe our teens aren't harassed, though that is a time that they could be harassed with school and things like that. But I think we can all recognize that they are quite helpless to navigate what is before them. They think they know a lot more than they do. Um, And what they need is some real shepherding, but we have to do that from a place of compassion. Again, this starts before teenagers. I think it kind of comes to a head at teenagers, but in all the transitions of life as our children are trying to figure this out, just keep that in mind. I think working from a place of, of compassion. How do you grow that? Well, I think the only way is to really view them through our relationship with God um, and the kind of compassion that the Lord displays for us in our helplessness uh, and continuing to meditate on that. That said, as mentioned a minute ago, the teenage years are years of rebellion. Uh, There are many reasons for this. Tripp uses an example on page 186 of a teen uh, boy who rebelled. In large part, he thought, because of the fact that he was constantly... um, reproved and berated publicly by his father and uh, his father just provoked him to anger and eventually he just said you know forget it Um, I think fathers do play a big role I mean teens rebel when they have absent or passive fathers teens rebel when they have overbearing harsh critical fathers 
And of course, there are teens who rebel who have good, loving, faithful fathers, though I would be willing to bet those numbers are far fewer. For whatever reason, uh, when a teenager does rebel, one of the things that we need to realize, and Tripp points this out, is they rebel because they're rebels at heart. Um, they're not good kids for the most part. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. I am someone that people come to a good bit for troubled teens um, because I was a bad teenager, which is kind of funny. Maybe you ought to go to someone that did a little better at, <laughs> at being a teenager. But um, maybe they think I, think I know all the tricks of the trade or something. But almost without fail, they will say to me, you know, she's a good kid. He's a good kid for the most part. I mean, good grades, stuff like that. And I'm like, that is not a good starting place. No, they're not. They're not good kids for the most part. Um, As hard as it is for us, we can believe this theoretically, theologically, in principle, but to believe it for our children is another thing. Uh, Totally depraved is the theological terminology. We talked about this last week. That is the condition that they enter this world in. Uh, Doesn't mean that they're as bad as they could be, but it does mean that every facet of who they are has been corrupted by sin. And uh, so that without God's grace, they're helpless to do what he has called them to do. Now, we, we can take heart because, as we've talked about, you know, God has covenanted with them. God has committed them to a Christian home where he is ministering to them throughout their childhood through Christian parents. I mean, he is intervening in, in some ways to curb their sinful capacity, but... We still have to understand, this is critical for us to understand a rebellious teen rightly. You know, um, a lot of times people want me to talk to their kid. If, if you just talk to them, then they'll probably get it, and um, I will talk to them. I'll even plead with them, and I'm glad to do that. I, it does take a village, right? I mean, I think that's a part of our responsibility. But there are obstacles that are much greater than what I can overcome. Um, only God can overcome anyone's sinful depravity. And, you know, this should create a dependence in our parenting uh, to cry out to God for a rebellious teenager, for a rebellious toddler, for that matter. I mean, that is not a small thing. That is high wickedness on display that if it goes uh, unchecked and if God does not intervene, will turn into something terrible when it comes to maturity. So, um, crying out to God, dependence on God, you know, deep, passionate, pleading, helpless prayer to God in whatever season of life we're in. And it should also just inform the way that we think about the problems that our kids are facing. They're not good kids for the most part. They have indwelling sin with an incredible capacity to destroy them and others. Um, Now, the hope is that God has answers for this. He does have answers for this, but we have to understand that he did not come for good kids for the most part. He came to save sinners and that our children are not exempt from that. And so we have to squarely place them in that category and then start from there. Um, It's just a good place to start in our parenting. Um, That said, what we say to them is not insignificant You know, we do need to have this posture of compassion and dependence on God. 
Um, but God's word is powerful, and one of the great responsibilities that we have is to speak the truth in love, and we can do that in faith, believing that it is going to affect change in their hearts and their minds and bring transformation in their lives. Um, so while it is very important that we operate our responsibilities in this constant dependence on God and, and compassion towards them, um, you know, then what? Then what do we do? What do we say? How do we deal with teens and, and that sort of thing? Uh, Tripp argues for three foundations for life in the teenage years. He gets this from Proverbs 1, 7 and 19. So I'm going to read from there. Proverbs 1, 7 through 19. Follow as I read. And remember, this is indeed the Word of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. (coughs) Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood, for in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. All right, again, from this passage, uh, Ted Tripp argues for three foundations to the teenage years. Number one, from verse 7, is the fear of the Lord. And number two, from verses 8 and 9, is adherence to parental instruction. And number three, from verses 10 to 19, is dissociation from the wicked. So uh, we will think about those, likely just the first two today, the fear of the Lord, adherence to parental instruction, and then uh, next time, dissociation from the wicked. All right, the fear of the Lord. Uh, One of the things we talked about reading the Proverbs last week, Stephanie mentioned that Uh, He recommends that to be just a regular part of our diet with the discipleship of our children. That's the whole context of the Proverbs is bringing children to wisdom and maturity in the Lord. And so one of the things that reading the Proverbs will do is help us understand, as well as our children understand, that the fear of the Lord is a good thing. You know, I think we tend to think fear of any stripe is a bad thing when in talking about in our relationship with God, but it says it's the beginning of true knowledge and wisdom in verse 7. And not only just the beginning, it is really the essence of wisdom. Uh, Job 28, 28, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. To turn away from evil is understanding. So the fear of the Lord embodies what it means to be wise. We, we have to have the fear of the Lord if we're going to be wise. Our children have to have it if they're going to be wise. So one of the things, they need to come to an understanding that the fear of the Lord is right and it is good. Uh, Tripp talks about a funny conversation he had with one of his children. There were all these bumper stickers around that said, Smile, God loves you. you know. And uh, he was talking to his 
kid and said, you know, you ought to put one on your bumper just to kind of throw a wrench in it that says, uh, tremble, God is a consuming fire. (laughs) And uh, that was pretty good. But, you know, we live in a smile, God loves you culture. And even in the general church culture that we live in, it is a smile, God loves you culture. I think that informs the way that we think about God a whole lot more than we realize, um, which may be one of the reasons we get so confused when, we, when things don't go our way. But, you know, so how do we cultivate this true knowledge of God for our children? One thing that he suggests, if you have teenagers or preteens, uh, he suggests making a point to read through the minor prophets during the teen years. Uh, I would say read through all the prophets even before that, you know, just to get them accustomed. And uh, this is a part of the grid that they need to understand the world with a biblical worldview. And the prophets are hard. I mean, this is these are these are hard to read. Um, but it's not just the prophets where we come face to face with God's judgment again and again. You know, honestly, if we're talking about the cross in the way, in a, in a fully orbed, full understanding kind of way, one of the things we've got to talk about is judgment. Because why did Jesus die? Well, he was judged by God in our place for our sins. Um, so it's not just the prophets, it's, it's the cross. And not just the cross. I mean, even if you go back to the beginning of the Bible, and we're just thinking about wanting to know God, and you, you think about creation, you know, not just reading through the creation account in a monotone voice, but, but teaching our children about God's creation and how powerful he is and wise and other than us. You know, um, there is a, that's a, creation's a great teacher. And what does it say in Romans 1? That uh, everyone is without excuse because from the beginning, God has made himself known through what he has made his uh, power, you know, his divine nature. I mean, there's something that would make us tremble as we study creation in connection with God. And then you get to uh, Genesis 3 and the problem of sin with a holy God. I mean, what happens in response to sin is devastating. And if we, if we think about that, it's also hopeful. Uh, there's gospel, but, but they can't understand really the good news unless they understand the bad news. And so teaching them these themes that God is sovereign over everything, even the bad things. I mean, you get, we're still in Genesis, but the life of Joseph and some of the terrible things that happen. You know, if you have multiple children, you can talk to them about the children selling another child into slavery. I mean, it's just, you know, it's hard to imagine. But um, again, it and it's okay for them to tremble at this. It's okay for them to get scared. It's okay for them, like this is part of really knowing God. That's a good thing, is um, it's not a smile, God loves you scenario. It's a tremble, God is a consuming fire. God is different. God is sovereign. God is good, but he's not safe. Um, you know, then you have Israel coming out of Egypt, which is incredible, and it's also terrifying. And you have Israel at Sinai. You have the holiness and the severity of the law. So if we're just starting at the beginning and, and taking our children through, I mean, they get introduced to a very different God than the smile, God loves you, God. 
Um, we're just through the first two books of the Bible, not even to the slaughterhouse of Leviticus. You know, then you got to start talking about blood and death and sacrifice and everything else. We all want our kids to know God. We cannot control whether or not their heart grabs on in response to him, but we can introduce them to him as he's introduced himself to us. Uh, they need to know about all of God's attributes. And, you know, we don't want to just focus in on, on one aspect, his love. Um, you know, they need to know about his holiness. They need to know about his omniscience, that, that he knows everything, his omnipresence, that he's everywhere, his omnipotence, that he's all powerful, his justice, his wrath, which is terrible, so that they can better understand his mercy and his grace and his love. Um, but in their maturity, there are going to be times of great unsettling in their souls, and only if they really meet the true God, you know. But it was very unsettling for Moses to meet God too. And there's great security that comes after that when you realize who this God is and how good he is and that he's committed himself to us. But we have to be willing to bring them through those seasons of being unsettled at meeting God. All right, the fear of the Lord is good. There's a somewhere it says the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And I, I go back to that. I love that. Our children need to fear God. The fear of the Lord is wisdom. Um, we just, we have to, reading the Proverbs will help us with that. Uh, in this section, Tripp also talks about helping our children understand uh, where they are in, in fearing man, not fearing God. Right. And uh, as previously mentioned, there are a lot of insecurities that pop up for teenagers. These uh, are really open doors to their hearts. I mean, they're just putting their heart out there for everyone to see. But we have to walk through them carefully. Right. I mean, we have to be wise in the way that we navigate those things. And so it's at this point where um, Tripp argues that we should really use our own personal experience with our teens. And I, I would say preteens. I mean, before that, as they're growing up into this, you know, one of the most important um, aspects to these years is transitioning from the more authoritarian role to the more mentor, shepherd, uh, friend role, not friend at the expense of being authority, but there is a shift for sure. You think about how a parent is with an adult child. They are, I mean, brother and sister in Christ, if you're sharing a relationship in the Lord. And you still, you still honor them. You still look up to them. But, and then you think about how you are with young children and how we have to be. More authoritarian, um, not dictator, though they would think that we are at times, you know. And, but in the transition there, we're kind of getting to... Here, So having to kind of make some changes in the way that we execute our authority with them. Um, we still have authority. We're not sacrificing that. You know, I want you to hear me at the expense of being the child's friend. That's a great issue. And that's not what I'm saying. But there should be a growing willingness to engage their world in appropriate ways, share our own struggles, struggles whether from when we were that age or similar fear of man issues that we're going through right now. You know, 
so that they can follow us as we follow Christ and watch us believe the gospel and repent of sin. Um, even yesterday, I mean, Levi's only five, and he was asking me, Daddy, do you remember times when you disobeyed God or disobeyed your mommy and daddy? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know? And he said, really? What would you do? And I was just talking about... Um, general things, you know, that like when I was his age, but, you know, I've also have age appropriate ways that I try to tell him my testimony and always talk about, you know, I was in the pit and God came and got me. And it's because I followed my heart. One of the things we tell him all the time, don't follow your heart. That's stupid. You know, follow God, follow his word, but, um, that following your heart will lead you to the pit of destruction. But God came and rescued me and mommy from there. And so we're trying to talk about that in age-appropriate ways. As they get older, especially the things that our children are facing, I mean, it needs to be a lot more PG-13 than we're probably comfortable with, frankly. I mean, just letting them in on, we've lived in this world too. And, uh, you know, but just an example, I mean, if they're worried about what their friends are thinking about this thing, well, we can share about our own experience of when we were worried about what our friends were thinking when we were their age, but we can also share about what we're worried about right now, about what people are thinking about this thing that we're going through. So I I think Sean Reed has said that a number of times. He has teenager now and maybe teenagers, but he has said, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, one of the best ways to connect is to get on their level and engage with what they're going through in a way that puts yourself in the same shoes. Just like, I know, I've been there. I mean, and I'm still there. I'm still trying to fight through. Anyway, does anybody have any thoughts here? Does anyone with older children, can you affirm that? I mean, experience? Or questions? Chris, about what age does that shift take place? You know, um, I don't know. I will say that, now I think Levi's a pretty mature five, but... There is a big difference already in the way that we're disciplining him versus Eva Claire. Like, he's able to correspond in communication a little differently than she is, you know. And so I think you're almost already leaking into that as they get a little older. I could imagine, I'm thinking about Drew. I mean, he's older than Levi. And so, you know, but it depends for each child. I'm sure there are eight-year-olds that act more like three-year-olds, and that's not, it's just where they are, you know? So you really have to, it's just a wisdom issue on wh- where is the child. Um, go ahead. I was going to say, um, yeah, I, would, I didn't mean to cut you off. Like, no, that's good. But, um, I think what you're saying about showing them your experiences is good and what they're struggling with, but I think also to take it and say, um, I hear how this is happening in your life, and remember how that feels to another kid and helping them to be mm-hmm. see what how they should be acting to others in Christ. Like, think how uncomfortable you feel when you go in a new room mm-hmm. and you feel insecure. Think about that kid when you go in there mm-hmm. and just trying to help them. I think that's great. Because we tend, I tend to parent making sure my child is happy mm-hmm. all the time. Like, I want you to be happy and comfortable. Mm-hmm. But instead of saying, I want you to have friends, try to find the person that doesn't or... I want to take it to that next level because I think that probably is a better picture of Christ and our obedience. Yeah. Making sure that we feel good about who we are. And so um, I think that that can be, I think, taught really early. And I, you know, I 
but I do tend to want to make them make sure that you're awesome and you're so cool. You know, that doesn't right. go very far because they still have those insecurities. Yeah. Um, I think the shift does happen pretty early. I think it's earlier. I don't know. Well, that's back to kind of the hard thing for me. I don't see clear lines of demarcation. Like, I think we're all wanting to teach those kinds of themes, even from toddler age, right? I mean, when uh, your two-year-old gets in a spat with someone in their class at church and, and they're taking toys, I mean, you're trying to teach things that about serving others and not serving yourself and things like that. But um, so I don't know. I, I guess I've seen trying to do this all along but I think his point is there's a big shift in in his appropriation of of shepherding for the small child I mean he a lot of people probably think he's very severe on on his views on the discipline of a small child I think there's a lot of wisdom in that that we don't need to dismiss I mean the way that we're called to shepherd them early is to establish that authority and spanking is kind of the chief uh, agent of that, with coupled with loving instruction, but <clears throat> it was kind of shocking to read about a scenario where he had with his teenager, and it was about a sledding. I think this is chapter nineteen. But uh, the child, there was a snow day. They're out of school, and the child wanted to go sledding. And he says to the child, "You know, you've had this um, project going in your room for a few weeks, and it's I'm really noticing like something in you. Because remember, we're trying to shape their character." I'm really noticing that that you keep putting that off and you're prioritizing other things, just sort of gratifying yourself other than mm-hmm. completing what you started. And that's really not a good thing. So here, I just want you to think about this. I want you to um, think about, you know, and the, but I want to, look, I'm not giving you, so it's not really an obedience, disobedience thing with this situation. It was, I just want you to consider what I'm saying and I want you to think about what I'm saying. And, you know, it doesn't always happen this way. But he says he comes back around in a few minutes and the child hasn't gone sledding. He's like, what's going on? He said, I think I'm going to finish the project and then I'm going to go sledding, you know. And so that's very different than you deal with. Don't do that with a three-year-old, you know. (laughs) Like, there is a way that they need to be disciplined. But it gave me a good picture of kind of where we're trying to get. And, again, that's one of the successes. They don't all go like that. I mean... But I think giving the freedom to make right or wrong decisions um, so that we can continue to speak into those, we can follow up with how they thought about that, we can correct, we can rebuke, you know, um, I don't know the age exactly. I think it's a wisdom issue for each child. But I like Jessica's point too, really always wanting to have, we're, we're all bent towards ourselves and wanting to always put our focus back, the call on our lives is to love God and love other people. So, any other thoughts about that? I think the consistent shift, though, doesn't happen until, like, middle school. Really? Like, I feel like with, with Jack, he's 10, I would give him that scenario and he would go sledding. I mean, okay. But sometimes he would make the right choice. And sometimes I think he should act like Emma. He should be 13. And he's just not. Yeah. And so sometimes, but then he's not Allie either. And... You know, we should be shifting out of spanking him. I mean, he's ten and a half. Mm-hmm. And it should be he should be owning up to more responsibilities. Mm-hmm. I get frustrated when he doesn't consistently. <coughs> but um, I feel like there was a huge parenting shift with Emma with sixth grade. It was mm-hmm. just, and she really responded well to that. And we had kind of a sit down of like, 
we're all entering this new phase together mm -hmm. and we're going to make mistakes, but this is what we're trying. We want you, you know, to be a godly woman one day. And so this is going to help. We're going to do our best to help you in yeah. that direction. And, well, uh, that would be consistent with what he's saying. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the age of, I mean, when the hormones are changing and things like that, uh, thereabouts. So, I mean, I think that we're marking a significant change in your life and it's time for that. So that's a good goal holding that loosely because children are different. You know, there are maturity levels that are different, whether younger or older. One of the things that's been really helpful to me is um, this Sharpie does not need to be here. That's, that will ruin. Um, so he talks about if this is birth and this is 18. Um, sorry, this is Use a sharpie if I were you. Yeah. <laughs> wow. This, um, <laughs> just leave it there too. <laughs> this one is authority. This one is influence. And he's not talking about, um, like you have the position of authority. He's not talking about positional authority, but the way that we operate our authority. So think about more authoritarian um, discipline with the spanking and things like that. From the early ages, it's very high. As you get closer to 18, it's going down, 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 down. Um, sounds like, I mean, definitely when you're hitting, uh, how old's Emma, 13? Yeah, so you're getting close to there, so that authoritarian kind of... Uh, execution of your authority is much lower, but the influence keeps going. And it's, again, we always have influence, but the way that we're seeking, it's kind of like that sledding scenario. Um, we don't want to do that with the little ones. We need to just curb the uh, sin and teach them the right ways, but giving them the freedom as they get older to work through some of these things themselves while they're still under our care. I, you know, we see, again, back to we, the clampdown method, a lot of times, and it, a lot of times this is because the authority wasn't established early, and so then the teenage years hit, and oh my goodness, you know, and so we're going to try to really ramp up the authoritarian, um, I feel like that was some of my experience, and kids will always rebel at that. I mean, that is not going to be well received, so... For those with young children, thus the importance of really establishing the authority young so that you have the freedom to do what we're talking about. But um, either way, I think I remember a, uh, it was an 18-year-old kid, and I was counseling with him when I lived down on the coast, and he had the maturity of about an 11-year-old and his parents. I mean, it was just a really bad situation at home. And I was like, I just told them, I said, here's your problem. He's not ready to be outside of your house. He has to be outside of your house. I mean, he's not going to do well out there, but it's a nightmare in there. <laughs> you know? So uh, I think for your own good, you get him out. He needs to learn how to be a man, and he's, he now is officially of man age, and yet he's got a long way to go, but he's not going to figure it out right there. So that's kind of an extreme scenario, but anyway... Um, if you could see that, I think it would be helpful. <laughs>
Any any last thoughts? All right. Well, we'll talk some more about um, that uh, adherence to parental instruction, also dissociation from the wicked, in a couple weeks. Because next week, Josh will be speaking. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, good mentors, even through books, that can help us think through our role and responsibility as parents, as a covenant family, to shepherd our little ones. And uh, Lord, our heart's desire is that they would know you, that uh, they would respond to your love for them in glad submission and service. And um, we recognize that we have significant responsibility in ministering to them uh, to that end. So give us wisdom, Lord. Give us understanding. Help us to better know you uh, truly, how you've revealed yourself to us. Help our children likewise. And uh, would you give us wisdom at every stage to shepherd them along where we need to have that more uh, severe, rigid, disciplined structure. Will you help us to know uh, when it's time to uh, be transitioning into uh, more of the role of influence? And and God, I just, we need your help. Uh, We are not smart enough. We're certainly not faithful enough and good enough. We confess our uh, sins freely because we know that you forgive them. And uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that all of our sins are paid for. Lord, please give your Holy Spirit in great measure to us and to our children uh, that we might be further rooted and built in Christ and established in the faith that we're being taught. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.